Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They lived in a land of shadows, but now light is shining on them. Good morning, church. I'm going to stay right here on the mic, guys. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 8. Let's start with a quote from Plato. We can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark, but the real tragedy of life is when grown men are afraid of light. We're going to see the truth of that this morning in the text of John chapter 8, this next section of our Life Matters series. Here Jesus is going to make the second of the seven great I Am statements. The first one came a couple of weeks back, you'll remember this. It's in John chapter 6 and verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never, ever be thirsty. He's just simply saying there that if, if you're looking for something to nourish you, to quench that thirst for life, if you need strength for your relationships to finish that degree you started, uh, to work at a, at a job that's a difficult place for employment, to survive a tragic death, dealing with overprotective parents, if you're looking for the strength to enjoy the things God's actually blessed you with, then Jesus says, look no further than me. I'll help you, I'll help you live this life that you're in. Next in John 8, for the text this morning, Jesus is going to say, if you're looking for some help navigating this world, if you've lost your way, if you've gotten a little confused for the moment, I can help with that too. Because I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will not have to walk in darkness. Now, some of you might say, can we be honest here, Jim? I doubt that. I disagree with that. I don't think he's the light of the world. Well, you wouldn't be the first, nor would you be the last. As a matter of fact, in this specific text of ours, John records an argument between someone and Jesus who did disagree with that, who didn't believe that he was the light of the world. <laughs> but the truth is, sometimes you can learn a lot from an argument. Husbands say amen. Wives say we hope you do. You can learn a lot from an argument. As a matter of fact, I believe that so much, I actually, at the first week, entitled this lesson today, Lessons Learned While Arguing with Jesus. But then I changed it to lighthearted. Not the lesson, just the title. To lighthearted, and I think you'll see why in just a few moments. But my prayer is, as we read this text, that God truly help us to get a handle on this incredible statement, this, listen to me, earth, life, relationship-changing statement that I am the light of the world. Let's read the whole text here. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisee said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony's not true. Here's where it gets awkward. And Jesus said, even if I do bear witness about myself, I'm telling you my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from, nor where I am going. It's about church. Father, in, in all humility, we come to you this morning confessing we, we need some help navigating this place, navigating our own lives, navigating the lives that we've been connected to in some form or fashion, whether we're a mate or a parent or a teen or a father or an employee. God, 
this world's crazy and some parts of it are so dark and um, we could use some light on the subject we could use some light on our lives and in our lives we're not the only ones I know the impact church is seeking for the same thing David Anderson's what a great brother pray that you you help him this morning preach that you'll help me preach father to these congregations who are are leaning into the truth leaning into you saying God what do you have for us today breaking bread lifting up songs and praise who are hoping that maybe we can leave our assemblies today with a little bit more brighter light than we walked in Jesus only you can do that and so I invite you through the power of your Holy Spirit would you move in this sack lunch of a message satisfy satisfy that hunger you promised that you would satisfy that thirst that you you promised you would quench that you would push out some of the darkness you promised your light would extinguish and eliminate we ask us humbly in Christ's name and everyone said if we're reading the Bible at all with some imagination and I think you try to I do this is an awkward moment here in John 8 especially at the first because Jesus is sitting down in the temple and he's teaching and it's the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles to give it some setting, to give it some historical reference. And the Jews, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, love this festival. Camping out, eating camp food, singing camp songs. They love this festival. And it's at the end of this festival that in the court of women, which is a part of the temple, something amazing took place every evening. There's this 75-foot candelabras that the Jews put together. Now, I know that's a little bit fuzzy, but they didn't have iPhones in. All they had were Polaroids. So that, that's the best Polaroid I could find, all right? That's actually someone's idea of what this might look like. But think about this. 75-foot tall candelabras. There was two, many historians believe, some say up to four. But all agree this, that when those were lit on the evening uh, of the Feast of Tabernacles, there every night for six nights they were lit. It lit up half the city of Jerusalem. Amazing sight. You talk about a light show. That was as close to a light show as it came. Those were stadium lights in their day, all right? And God called for that to be done at the end of the day of six days of these, this festival of tabernacles, this Feast of Booths. Why? To remind the people that there was a time in their history when God moved them out of bondage and, and headed them toward the promised land and they made it through this place called the wilderness with light leading them. A cloud by day, but at night when it got dark, God said, I'm not going to leave you alone, not even for the thought that I might have abandoned you in any form or fashion. So he, he was there through a cloud of, of, of by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so this candelabra, this fire, this light was to remind them of when they were living in those booths and living in those tents and God provided for them. It's a powerful visual image. And then on the last night of the festival, there was no light. And that was equally as significant. Because what it was saying to the nation of Israel is in this present time of ours, we're looking for a light. We're looking for that light that was prophesied about. We're looking for God to usher into the new world, the new kingdom. And I believe it's on this occasion that Jesus stands and he says on that night when there is no light, where there's darkness, he stands and says, I am the light 
of the world. Helps to know that, doesn't it? Helps to have a little background, a little bit of setting about how that could be said and why it would be so significant. Because we know Jesus changes things, right? He, he takes that Lord's Supper we're going to look at in a few weeks and he, and he takes what was a Passover meal and he says, no, I'm the bread here now. I, I'm the blood here. Now, that was a shadow thing. That was a, a, a sign pointing to me. But, but, but this is me. He does the same thing with this huge candelabra, these stadium lights. And he says, no, I'm the light. And that light is among you now. And someone speaks up in the crowd when he says that and says, you're a liar. That's a little awkward, isn't it? Now, I've got a figure over the last five plus years that I've been speaking here. There's been a couple of things that I've said from this pulpit. You said, uh-uh. Mm, don't believe that. Don't agree with that. But no one, I expected Warner maybe on one occasion to say, sportsman or arms, Sportsmen or coming sportsmen, nah. But they didn't. But they did in front of Jesus. No. Disagree. You're giving testimony about yourself, and, and that's just not the law, and it's not right. And it's awkward as all get out. Jesus doesn't miss a beat, and he says, You're right that you only have my word, because that's the case. But you can depend upon it being true because I know where I've come from and where I go next. However, you don't know where I'm from or where I'm headed. That is the beginning of a full-fledged smackdown for the rest of the chapter. <laughs> and it has been a difficult chapter to try to say, God, what in this do we need to hear as a church family about? Because it's a disjointed, again, arguments can be that way, and it is a full-fledged argument. If you haven't read John 8, most likely this is going to prick your curiosity. What in the world was going on there? Go read John 8. It's a full-fledged smackdown. But if you're a Jew in Jesus' day, what Jesus is proclaiming is bold and borderline, if not blasphemous. The stakes are high with these words. He's not just claiming to be sent from God. Jesus is actually claiming to be God. Go after me quickly to Genesis chapter 1. You remember how the Bible starts out there. You remember how the beginning starts out there. It actually says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? But next it says, in the process of doing this, what he had to work with was, verse 2, this formless, empty darkness that was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God says, let there be what? Light. That statement, that word produced two powerful realities when that was spoken. Number one was this, setting darkness on the run. And number two, bringing form to the formless. Two things happened when God spoke, let there be light. He set darkness on the run, and he brings form to the formless. But that's what God does when he shows up. That's what happens when he sheds his light on his creation. And hear me, on any situation in our world since then. Not just in the beginning, but wherever that light is welcomed. The reality of Jesus being the light is huge to John. You're getting a hint of that by now because we're eight chapters deep in it. But, but let me take you back to John chapter 1. In him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. He's going to go on to mention it 16 times throughout his eyewitness account of Jesus' life. But he doesn't stop there. John's going to write a few letters later to some of his churches. 
And in one of those letters, he says this in 1 John 5, 1, verses 5-7. through 7. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is what? Light. And in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, however, we lie. We lie. And do not do what is true. Ah, but if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. John loves this metaphor of Jesus being the light of the world. And the Spirit himself inspires him not just to love it, but to write about it and say to us, if you're looking for, okay, now, what's, what's the significance of Jesus uh, in something that we get and we understand? Well, he's like light. No, he is light. Maybe one of the reasons why John loves this imagery so much is because he cut his teeth on singing songs. I love, I love Troy using the song a while ago to, to make some of his points. The Hebrews did this all the time with their own song but called the Book of Psalms. And in that's a couple of songs, psalms you're going to recognize here. Psalm chapter 27, verse 1, 119, and verse 5. And here they are. The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You sing that song. Whom shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? Comes from this song. Then this one you're going to get, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We still sing this. Maybe a little bit different tune, but those were songs that John cut his teeth on growing up in the nation of Israel. And so it's not a surprise that that would have such an impact that when he writes about this light that was prophesied, Elijah said a few moments ago, read a few moments ago, that he had come. Right in the middle of the story of God, Isaiah says, okay, we may not have the light, the pillar of fire by night anymore, but there's a light coming. And here's what that text says. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Here's what that text promised. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Now, it's in the background of all of that. <laughs> the candelabras. The creation of God in the beginning, the prophecies of Isaiah, it's in the midst of all of that. Jesus stands up on the night when the candelabras are out, and he says, I am the light of this world. I'm that light that was in the beginning. I'm that light that was prophesied by Isaiah. And many who heard him say that on that night, at least one of them said, doubt it. Don't believe it. Matter of fact, I'll call you a liar for it. But as we're going to see, those who question Jesus most throughout this entire last half of the gospel, who get in his face most, who object to what he's doing most, are those folks who think they're the light of the world. They see themselves as the moral cream of the crop. They're, they're using their religion as a checkbox method of, I'm better than you are. And for this rogue rabbi to come on the scene loving the people that he loves, forgiving the people that he forgives, it upsets their apple. It shakes their snow globe so much they want, by the end of chapter 8, to kill him. And they try to. A little bit more about that in a minute. But I love this about Jesus. He's so courageous. He's so bold. And it's because the guy knows where he's from. He knows where he's going. And I know for some of us, we're going, well, what does that have to do with 
defending the claim that I am the light of the world. It's because he was in the beginning. That's where he's from. When God says, let there be light, who's this force of creation that, that all of a sudden the formless starts becoming formed? It's Jesus. John says it in the very beginning of his gospel. You remember that. didn't put it up on the screen because I know in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And everything that was made was made in it. Nothing was made without him. And this incredible Word. Jesus says, I know where I come from. I was there in the beginning and I know where I'm going. I know what the end's going to look like. That comes from Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. You've, know, you've known this verse before. And on that day, there will no longer be a need for the sun or the moon. For the glory of God will be there, what? Light. There it is again. There was light in the beginning. There's going to be light at the end. And all through the middle, Jesus is trying to say, I'm the light of the world. There's a day coming, and I love that. That the brilliance of who he actually is can be experienced by us and us not burn up when we're going to be in his presence. And there won't be a, a, a need for the sun. Man, is there a need for the sun now? Sure there is. And there won't be a need for the moon. That Man, is there a need for the moon now? Sure there is. But there's coming a day that scripture says, buckle your seatbelts when there won't be a need of any of that. Because he will so illumine our lives, no darkness will have a chance. This guy knows where he came from and where he's going. Do you know anybody like that? He puts himself in a place with God and the crowd doesn't take too kindly to that. You get down to the end of chapter 8 and, he, and after this back and forth and finally he's, he's talking about Abraham and says, I, I know Abe. How could you know Abe? You're, you're barely 50 years old. And he said, well, because before Abraham, who? This is what I am. Wait a minute. That's a designation used only for this guy's using it for himself. He's not just saying, I'm the light of the world. He said, did you hear what he said, Habib? I am. And they try to stone him. And Jesus goes all ninja on them and slides out. And somehow or another, they're not able to do that. And we go, how is that possible? Because the darkness doesn't stand a chance in the presence of the light. The darkness will not trump the light. Now, it can, it can do some horrible, heinous things. It can confuse, it can, it can bring fear and anxiety, and it can bring hurt and pain and violence left to itself. But I'm telling you, when the light enters the darkness, it doesn't have a chance. That's been true from the beginning of time. It'll be true to the end of time. And that's what John's trying to get his church to get a feel for and, and have hope in. Because that light has come into the world. What does that light do? Two things. Number one, it sets darkness on the run. True darkness is unnerving. I, I know there are several of you here like me who have traveled to some of our incredible caverns that we've got here in this area. But my favorite is back in New Mexico at Carlsbad. What a great, great set of caves. Huge, huge caverns. But probably at every one, I don't remember because I, I went to the ones here when I was really, really small. But, but there at, at Carlsbad, there's that moment. And, and, and you can anticipate, because of the nature of the sermon where I'm going with this, where they turn out all the light down under. And I don't mean Australia, Troy. They turn out the light down under. And I mean, it is pitch black dark. Literally, the only time in my life I understood the phrase, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It's so dark, you can't. 
And you talk about dark. It's unnerving, isn't it? It is for me. I mean, it, I don't want to move. I, I don't want to take a step because that could be not only um, weird, but maybe disastrous. And so you just kind of, you're just frozen. You don't know whether to go left or right, up or down. And then when they turn the light back on, you go, oh, glory to Jesus. Your body feels that. We don't do darkness very well. And what Jesus does when he comes into a human being's life, he's trying to teach us is that darkness can flee. What Scripture's going to do, not just here in John, but all throughout the letters of Paul and Peter and James, but especially Paul, is try to take this imagery of the light and the darkness and take it further and say, if you're not in Christ, you are living in darkness. The dominion of darkness. Paul's going to say it this way in Colossians 1.13. But we're back to this idea of a dominion of darkness. And I'm going to tell you, for some of you who are in this room and you're not a Christian... This one may be a little bit hard for you to swallow. But what the Word of God is trying to say is, is where you live is so different from where you could live if you had Christ in your life. It is like darkness compared to light. Kind of like not seeing your hand in front of your face compared to light. If you're not a Christian, the Bible's going to say, you simply can't see in this world without Jesus what ultimate reality is. You can see some things, but not what's ultimate. You can feel some things, but not what's ultimate. Because this world is a world of darkness. Now, that's the scripture trying to give perspective on what this world is like compared to what it's going to be. Remember what it's going to be at the end? I already talked about a place where there's no darkness at all. Because the, the dark prince of evil has been thrown down into the throes of hell, and, and that's done with. I don't know what the next chapter is going to look like, but it's saying this, darkness won't be there. A buddy of mine was elk hunting in the mountains of Colorado. Never been in these mountains. He's hunted all over the country. Great hunter. His name is Jamie Gibson. But he was on a particular elk hunt guiding some guys there. And he got separated from them. And his headlamp went out. And the GPS unit went out. And it was a cloudy evening where he couldn't see any stars or any moon. And he will tell you it was as close to be in the dark of a cave as he's ever been in his life in the wild. And he was clueless about how to get back to camp. So what he did was just make himself as comfortable as he could. And he said, I, I sat there and I waited for the sun to come. For the sun to rise. For light to come. And he said, Jimmy, when it finally did, I can't tell you what it felt. When I first saw the, the blue light just beginning to form over the mountains, it just put hope in me. And he said, and then I began to see where I was. And he said, oh, my goodness, a chill went down the back of my spine because I saw where my inclinations were leading me, where they were taking me, and it was so far from camp. I wouldn't have just been confused. I would have been lost if I'd kept going. For decades, I have counseled people who are hiking through life pretty much like Jamie. They're basing what they're going to do next, how they're going to do it, with whom they're going to do it with, on their own inclinations, their own feelings. And some of you right now in this room are walking that way as I speak. You don't have a clue where you're from because some of you still think you're a cosmic accident. 
that just some pre-mortal slime oozed up out of the world and that that's where you came from. You don't have a clue where you're, you're actually from. That the God of creation and the God of heaven and earth has made you and knit you together and has a plan for your life, but you haven't bought into that yet. You're still walking in darkness. And you're still thinking that the rest of your year is going to depend upon your prowess or your fate or your luck. And can I tell you, as humbly as someone who's attempted to live that way and who watches it unfold in hundreds of people's lives for 37 years of ministry, I'm telling you, it's a disaster looking to happen. In your parenting, in your marriage, in your work, in your health, you are walking in the dark, friend. And this is what not I say, but Jesus says, let there be light. Please. Please let there be light for your sake and for everyone around you. Please let me help you enjoy what marriage can be. Please let me help you use and enjoy what a human body can be. Please let me help you experience and enjoy what a relationship with the creator of the universe can be and his son and the spirit. Please let me help you live with joy and purpose and die with peace and assurance. Now who's saying that? Jimmy Sportsman, if it is true, you could be playing sports or fishing or eating enchiladas now for all that matters. But let me tell you who's saying that. It's a man who is historically known, not philosophically, but historically known as a guy who turned water into wine, who put legs under cripples, who walked on water, who in a word silenced storms who predicted his own sacrificial death and resurrection, and the guy pulls it off. That's who's saying this. And he says, I am the light of this world. And if you don't have me in your life, you are walking in darkness, and it is not pretty where that darkness leads. And so I just want to say, if your life feels like a walk in the dark woods or a dark cave, and you don't have a clue which end is up, and if you feel lost, then you should because that's exactly what our fate is outside of Christ. But when we welcome the light and walk in step with the light, the Bible says the Holy Spirit awakens our heart to a dimension of living that cannot happen any other way. That's what setting the darkness on its heels is all about. Number two, the second thing that light does is it brings form to the formless. When I was at the Institute for Christian Studies, it was the first time that I had been challenged by some godly men in the church to consider that there might be others outside of the church of Christ who Jesus just might save. Now, I know that's heretical, and maybe why they wound up changing the name to the Austin Graduate School, I don't know. But they were among the first to challenge me that at the core of my beliefs and at the core of maybe some Methodists and some Baptists and yea, even some Catholics are some beliefs that put us in a relationship with Jesus Christ and we have so much more in common than we do differences that we at least need to look at that and, and celebrate that instead of just judge it and dismiss it. That's where it started. And in one of those classes where they're asking me to consider that maybe, just maybe, that some of those folks who share our same core values might have something to teach us, like Luther and Wesley and even Pope John Paul, the whatever it was at the time. I remember being asked to read what was called the Westminster Short Catechism. 
it's a teaching tool of the Presbyterian Church, which Alexander Campbell, one of the leaders of our restoration movement, cut his teeth on as a kid, learned to follow Jesus with as a kid. And in that catechism was a statement I will never forget because it changed my life. It helped me see the perspective of a Bible that I had not seen before. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is a great question. And here's the question. What is the chief end of man? It's a great question. If I can put it in more common language, it would be this. Why are we here? Why do we exist? What's all of this about? And the catechism sums up in two verses, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31 and Psalm 73, 24, this one-line statement. And I love this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, that's not a Bible verse. I didn't quote a Bible verse. I'm quoting some man's summation of what he's seen in the Scriptures. But i got to tell you this, I get that. And I can see from cover to cover that this story has that maybe as a pretty good basis for what this is all about. And when we talk about leading people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus, that it's, it's to do that. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Again, that's a summation of a couple of scriptures in the Bible. But, but you know what? Our mission statement out here is a summation of a couple of scriptures in the Bible. And it's helping us focus on on what we're to be about in this world. And I love this. That my ultimate purpose in life, that the aim for what I'm trying to do is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What's your ultimate purpose? That one's mine. Adopted it when I was in college many moons ago, all right? I think that's what the scripture is all about. That's going to be my main purpose in life, to glorify my Father and to enjoy Him forever. What's your purpose? You say, well, Jimmy, how, 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 sounds good to me. How do we do that? Well, there's a next section of our mission statement. It says it's our mission steps. By loving God and by loving neighbor, which pretty much covers all the commandments about how God wants to lead us into this life. And then lastly, living it to the full. That's how. Personally, can I tell you what that means for me? Not just categorically, but personally. It means I'm a child of light. I've not been called to be a, a crusty old prude. <laughs> I'm a child of light. And if there's anybody on this globe living the adventure and enjoying all of it to the full, it ought to be me. Because I welcome this light into my life. And, and he, he, he loves to do that. He died to do that because I was in darkness. I'm telling you, I was in darkness. And I needed that light to come into my life. How about you? But he says, when you welcome that into your life, it's, going, it's not just going to cause the darkness to run. It will cause that which is formless to become formed. And it won't just be me coming into you to brighten up your life. Let me tell you what it's going to do. And here's what he says. You will become the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bush. That's silly. But they stick it up on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. Okay, there's the perspective of who we are. In the same way, you let your what? Light 
shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So it's not just that, that he's the light, but, but inside my life, inside my heart, I could possibly help bring some hope and healing and justice to some injustice and some, some, some joy to some anger and hurt. Yes. Count me in. Now, how do you do that? What specifically do I have to do today, Jimmy, if I want in on that? Here's the three points. If you're tired of the darkness, if you're tired of not knowing how to be a parent, if you're tired of the prescription drug addiction that you have been hiding and keeping from, if you're tired of the lust that just is out of control and you can't get near a computer without going to certain sites, if you're weary with a temper that just continues to go off and there doesn't seem to be any way to control it, if you are just fed up with a depression that has just so immobilized you, you don't know if you can take one more step nor if you want to. Stop hiding, please. Please stop hiding. Because you can't hide from God anyway. Jeremiah says, Can a man hide himself in the hiding places so I don't see him? Declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Declares the Lord. You can't hide from him. David says, You've searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word's even on my tongue, you know it completely. God says, I got you. And not as some judgment or to take some pleasure in catching you doing wrong. Heavens, no. He's watching for an opening to where he can move in with some light in that darkness with some help and some hope into that confusion and lostness. He's, he's watching constantly for how you might come down that trail, that prodigal, that daughter that you've been, and say, I have, I've messed this up, Dad. You blessed my life so much, and I just was rebellious, and I was rude, and I'll just be a slave for you, okay? He says, are you kidding me? Get a robe out. Get some rings. My sons come. My daughters come home. The light's made a difference, and he's come to his senses and wants something better. It starts with just stopping from hiding. Second is you've got to start sunbathing. Did I get some of your attention with that one? They talked about sunbathing in church. Yes. You get yourself around all the Christ you can, all the light that you can, whether it be in services like this or, or on a men's retreat. Can I show you a couple of guys sunbathing? Some of you are afraid to look, right? Oh, they're fully clothed, and that's about as much as I want to see Paul Mosley or Alan sunbathing, all right? That's at the men's retreat from last year. And, and guys, I'm saying, if you haven't made plans to go to that retreat, get there and do some sunbathing. That's what they're doing. And their busy lives that are, are going so crazy, they're stopping to spend some time in the Gospels with Jesus and just walk with them because at their own house and at their own job, they just don't do that very well. Last one is surround yourself with sun worshipers. Stop hiding, start sunbathing, and surround yourself with sun worshipers. You know what? It's easier to walk in the light as he is in the light when you do it with Ray, when I do it with Donnie, when I do it with my wife. So much easier. You surround yourself with sun worshipers, okay? 
Can I show you a couple? Here's some. They dropped in on our driveway yesterday afternoon. We were trying to eat dinner, and then boom, these guys show up. Some of our teens who were sun worshipers. And you know what? We had a lot of fun with that. We got on that couch. I still don't have a clue why we were doing that. I think it was some kind of scavenger hunt type thing, you know. But they, we got in our driveway, and look, at we're laughing. They got that, that preacher in the sunglasses in the middle. And, I, and I, my, I'm squinting because my eyes have literally the sun beaming in on us. About 7 o'clock in the evening. They're just beaming in. I could barely see because I was surrounded by the sun and sun worshipers, and it was awesome. It's awesome. And I pray to God that we keep coming up with creative and inventive and and real awesome ways that we can connect with each other because we got a duty to the world out there that's in darkness. We have a, a, a mandate from the Lord, yes, but we have a gift to show them light like nobody else. If anybody's having a great steak and a great beverage, it ought to be a Christian. If anybody holds that grandbaby and for a moment, all of a sudden, their heart, soul, mind, and strength, the part that I had to cut out from this lesson, are now all integrated and there at the same time, baby, that's living. Or when you're in a worship service and you're not just coldly walking through the sermon or the songs, but I mean your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the whole part of you is together. God's taken what was formless and he's formed it, integrated himself right there into your body, and boom, Nothing else matters. There's no other place you'd rather be. Either with that steak or that grandbaby or worshiping, that's living. Life to the full. That's what it's all about. And we can do that because the one who's the way, the truth, and the life came and said, I'd like to climb inside you if you'll let me. If you'll stop hiding. Start doing a little sunbathing. And become a sun worshiper. I'm going to close with this because it just stuns me at how much darkness can be driven out by light. 2015, a guy by the name of Dylan Roof, a white supremacist, walked into a black church in Charleston, South Carolina. Started killing people. By the time he quit pulling the trigger, nine people were dead. In a place that was so used to light, radiating from it, was invaded for a moment by the darkness. On the day that they set bail for Dylan Roof, 12 members of the Emmanuel Baptist Church walked into that courtroom. And even though they were church members, the press was anticipating something ugly until each one of those members stood up. And here's what the Washington Post said. Those who chose to speak at a bond hearing did not turn to anger. Instead, while he remained impassive, they offered him forgiveness. And they said, we're praying for his soul, even as they described the pain of their losses. Nadine Collier said, I forgive you. The daughter of a 70-year-old, Ethel Lance, said, at the hearing of her voice and breaking with emotion, she said, you, you took something very precious to me, and I will never get to talk to her again. But I will never stop praying for you, and I forgive you. The darkness doesn't stand a chance with that kind of light. God's asking us to not only receive it, but to share. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning believing, trusting, you are mighty to save us, and we so need saving. I don't know how you've waited so long not to wrap this place up and just put an end to it. It just seems like it gets darker every day of my existence here. 
but father this is a church family that comes together in one voice to say we welcome your light and we will do our best to radiate that light with your help and your power we want to be light on a hill not just because that's where our our building is located we want people to see hope and joy and life in us and we beg you save us and empower us to do just that in jesus name and everyone said if you'd like to get in on some of this i'm going to be right down front if you'd like for us to wrap our arms to to pray with with some of the darkness maybe that you're facing would you please be standing we've got folks at the front and at the back let's sing